appreciate you and love y'all so much. At this time, we want to start out with a testimony like every Sunday morning. And this morning, we got our sister Marie. Let's give her a hand as she comes up. Marie's her middle name. Ashley Marie. Hi, I'm Ashley. Um, I just wanted to give a short testimony about God's presence. Um, I was at a church before this one where I was really involved in ministry and I was just going really hard and doing and serving, but yet I wasn't seeking God's presence. I wasn't taking that time for prayer. I wasn't taking that time to be refilled. I was just working, working, working until my heart became bitter. And I was just thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I doing all these things? Um, and I saw that I had to be in God's presence. He had to refill me. I couldn't pour out to the point where nothing could pour out of me anymore. I needed to be poured into. And then I walked into this building here, and I just got refilled with God's presence. And standing right there, God whispered to me one day, you're back. You're back. So God's presence hit me hard here. So I just want to share Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this time and for all that you promise us, Lord. I pray that we can have a burning fire inside our hearts that can't help but to escape us, Lord, and touch everyone else, Lord. Let us go out and make disciples and just show everyone how great you are and how good being in your presence truly is, Lord. Let us not turn away from you, but press in and heed your commands. In your name I pray, amen. Amen, hallelujah. Come on, how are you guys excited to be in God's house this morning? Come on, I want to invite you to enter into the presence of God with us. You're welcome to come up to the altar. You're welcome to make your way out of your seat. We're going to enjoy his presence this morning.
your joy I find in your joy. Come on, sing it out. your joy would be present in this room. God, we ask that your presence would be tangible in this place, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love your presence, God. We love your presence, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, before we go to the next song, can you just close your eyes with me today? And can you just welcome the presence of God? Just say, God, I just want you here. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into this place, into my heart. God, I pray that you would open up my eyes to see you, open up my heart to receive what you have for me today. Come on, all over this room, something new, something fresh from you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, that's what we want is your presence. You are here today. Oh, all we want is you, Jesus. All we want is to feel you, God. All we want is to hear you, God, more than yesterday. Oh, Jesus, we desire you, God. We push forth, God. We push forward you, God. We push closer to you, Jesus. Come on, how do you do that? Come on, you close your eyes and you raise your hands and you say, God, I'm coming near. Come on, that's how you do that. Can you do that with your neighbor today? Can you do that with all of heaven today? Say, God, I'm closing everything off and I'm pushing near to you because your presence is where I belong. Right here is where I belong, Jesus. Is that your feet, God? Oh, yes, Jesus. 
Jesus. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, can you start just lifting up your voice right now with me? We want you to have your way. Come on, you don't have to watch. You can enter in today. Come on, you don't have to sit on the sidelines. You can enter in yourself. Come on. Jesus, Holy Ghost, you're welcome in this place. We want to encounter you today. We want to touch you today. Come on, raise your hands with me, God. Say, Holy Ghost, you are welcome here. Come on, you are welcome here in this place. Yes, Jesus, my strength, oh, my strength is in the fullness, is in the fullness. Break every wall down in your presence, Jesus. All my doubts and reservations, you break down in your presence, God. All my worries about my life, you break down in your presence. You break them down like glass on the floor. You shatter them to pieces, God. And Lord, this morning, would you take it all, Lord, and shatter it to pieces? So that I could see you, Lord. God, every wall in this place, Lord, we ask that you would break it down, Lord. Every doubt in the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that you would shatter it to pieces, Lord. That we might see you. That we might encounter you. Come on, if that's your heart, can you just raise your hands with me? Come on, not out of religion, but out of relationship with him. Reaching out to him like a child would his father and say, God, take it all. Take it all. Take it all this morning. Shatter it all to pieces, God, so that I might see you, so that I might know you. Jesus, we want you to.
it's the praises of his people. God is in our midst right now. The living God is here right now. We have to be a hungry people. We have to be hungry for him to move. We have to be desperate for a touch from God. We have to be desperate for Jesus to save our families. We need to be desperate for him to save Chicago. We need to be desperate for him to send revival to our nation. Come on, if you're hungry for God, I want you to shout it out in your own words today. Go after Jesus. Come on, because we're going to pray. We're going to pray the people of God on behalf of our nation, on behalf of this city, for God to send the Holy Spirit to bring Jesus, we need you, Lord. Jesus, I want to read to you in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and I want us to join in together as a congregation, and we're going to do what this verse is going to tell us to do right now, because we stand in the gap for the lost. We are the representative, the ambassadors of Christ to go out into the world to show them who Jesus is. So when we gather together to worship God, there is power in his name, there is power in his presence, and not only do we want the fire of God to be inside of us, we need to be so desperate for the fire of God to be out there, and it's going to go through us, amen? Second Tim, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I urge, first of all, to pray for all people. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked with godliness and dignity. How many of you guys think we need godliness and dignity in Chicago? Just Chicago as an example. Live peaceful, quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. We need that. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. Say everyone. Everyone. And to understand the truth. So I want about three people to just run up here because we're going to intercede. And we're going to stand in the gap on behalf of all the authority in our government. We're going to stand for those in authority. We're going to stand for those that need to be saved. So just three people coming up. As the band continues to play... I want, yes, Lawrence, I was going to call you, brother. I'm so glad you're here right now. I want us to all join in. We're still worshiping God. We're going to do it through prayer and intercession right now. We have three people here. I want you guys to plead with Jesus for the loss. Your family member, we want to feel the heart of God in your prayers. Just, Just take 60 seconds, each of you. I want you to pray for the college campuses. Amen. You guys pray whatever's on your heart. You just keep passing it on. All hands raised all across this room. Attitude of prayer. You guys have to join in in agreement with what they're going to pray for right now. blood of Jesus over every child in the city of Chicago, Father God. We plead the blood of Jesus over every parent, Father God, over every household, Father God, that your blood just runs through every single one of them, that they have the mind of Christ, Father God, that they have the foundation to, to work on the word of, of your the book that is in your Lord, Father God. We pray for every single one of the parents, Lord, that they have 
strength and courage, Father, to press through every evil darkness and every evil thing that is coming against every family, Father God. We pray right now that the angels are loose into the atmosphere of the city of Chicago and that they press forward and they fight back all the evilness that we have conquered, Father God. We thank you for the victory, Father God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you, Father God. Amen. God, when you pour out your spirit in Acts 2, Lord God, Peter got up and he preached, Lord God, and 3,000 were saved in one day, Lord. We lift up the college campuses, Lord God. We lift up the high schools, Lord, where there are thousands upon thousands of 10,000s of students, Lord God. We come before you, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, that you would save them, that you would wake them up, Lord God, that they would be cut to the heart, that there would be conviction of sin, Lord God, that they would realize they need Jesus, Lord. Let there be an awakening in their hearts, in their minds, that they need Jesus. Oh, God, pour out your spirit, Lord God. Let there be souls made, God. Time is running out, Lord God. They will not be around forever, God. Life is, is not guaranteed tomorrow, Lord God. I lift up these students to you, Lord God. That they would stop wasting their lives on worthless things, God, and they would realize they need Jesus, Lord God. Let there be an urgency, Lord God. Let there be a desperation, Lord God, and I pray for the disciples, God. I repent, God, on behalf of the Christians, Lord, that aren't sharing their faith, that aren't evangelizing, Lord. Raise up your church in these places. Raise up disciples, God, that are willing to step out in faith, Lord, anointed by your spirit, anointed with your power in the name of Jesus. Dear God, we're begging you from evil. We're begging you from staying, from having, from saving our family. Dear God, we're, we're begging you for help. Dear God, we're, we're begging you to keep all negativity, all ego, stay away from us to protect our family, to stop the shooting, to save our children, to save our marriage, to save our spouse, to save our family. Dear God, we're begging you. We run out of options. God, we need help. We don't know what to do anymore. Dear God, please help us from all negativity, from all evil. Every day, Chicago's getting worse. We don't know what to do to protect our children, to protect our lives, to protect our family. Dear God, please, we beg you and plead, please. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to lift up our hands again. Come on. We're going to sing. You won't relent. And as we're singing that, you won't relent. We're going to sing it over our city. Because Jesus is not going to relent. But we're going to stand in the gap for Chicago. He won't relent until this city is saved. And we're believing for 100,000, just our church alone. Come on, declare this over our city and over our nation. That God's not going to relent until all hear the gospel. We want revival in our cities and in our nation. Our hearts are yours, oh God, use us.
one more time, just the voices. Come on. watch us burn. Lord, I pray that through us you would bring healing. You would bring healing, God, over our youth. You would bring healing into our college campuses. You would bring healing to marriages, oh God, broken families, fatherless and motherless homes. Use us, oh God, to be your hands and your feet. And we declare, oh God, that Chicago belongs to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah, 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 King Jesus. You are worthy, oh God, and you are awesome in this place. Woo, give your neighbor a high five. You guys can be seated as we dismiss the King's kids. Let's clap it up for our children as they're going to go in the back and learn about Jesus some more and experience his presence. It's so wonderful to have you guys all here at Metro Praise International. We welcome you here. For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And we are so thankful that you joined us for our worship service today and the powerful message that's going to come forth. Look to your neighbor say, it's time for some good news. I'm going to preach the good news to you. It's all about Jesus. And this message is for those of you today who are not right with God. You've not been born again. You are not in a right relationship. I want you to listen because today you will have the opportunity to get right with God. In Mark 8, 34 through 35, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, This is Jesus speaking. He had the crowd and he had his disciples and he called them to him and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If you're not right with God, he's calling you to be his disciple. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you on his team. And the only way to do that is to come to him, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and to follow Jesus. And it's not promised that you'll have a yellow brick road with a, a path of roses following before you and behind you. The Bible says that in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, he's overcome the world. So I'm not promising you if you come to Jesus that he's going to make your life so perfect. But you can be perfect in Christ. And it's better to live for Jesus and have him in your life and experience difficulty and hardship than to do it without him. So my challenge before you is, if you want to be a disciple, you have to lose your life so that you can gain it. And that's a, that's a sacrifice, that's a, a, a commitment each and every one of us has to make. But for those of, of you in this room who've been struggling with committing to Jesus 100%, you've been going back and forth, you've been rejecting some of his commands, it's kind of like, I like a little bit of this, I like a little bit of that, I don't really like this Jesus. No, 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 you come, you lose yourself so that you could find yourself in him. You lose this life so you could gain the next life, life eternal. So with all eyes closed all across this place, 
I'm going to pray in just a little bit, and I want you to pray to Jesus by yourself in agreement with what I'm saying if you want to get right with God. But today is a day for you to be saved. We're not promised tomorrow. It's time to lose your life for Jesus' sake and for the gospel so that you can save it. Lord, I thank you for your word that is so powerful and true. And I ask, oh Lord, that you would bring conviction to this room, to the hearts of the men and women here who are listening, who have been rejecting you, God, who have not given their life to you. I pray that today they make that commitment. Today they choose to confess you as Lord and Savior, to lose their life, to lay it all down, to deny themselves, oh God, and to follow you, not looking back. I pray that today would be that day they make that commitment, Lord. Let them hear your voice. Let them feel the tugging on their heart. And I pray that they would not reject it. They would not push that back. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. If you meant that prayer, if you know you want to be right with God and you're not, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know you need a new life and it's only found in Jesus. Pastor Griselda and Pastor Jared are going to pray with you during the fellowship time. I want to encourage you, go to them for prayer. Find out how to get plugged into the church with discipleship. There's so much that God has for you. You're not uh, meant to do it by yourself. Go to them for prayer. Amen. At this time, we're going to confess the confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview, and we love to do it every week because we want to declare it. We stand on the word of God. This is how we see our world. This is how we see society. It's all through the lens of scripture. This is our, uh, our worldview, how we see everything going on, and it's based on the word of God. If you're with me, let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. In the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Clap it up for Jesus one more time. Go greet somebody. Give somebody a hug, especially somebody you've never met before.
excited to be at church today. Come on, clap it up, get excited. It's good to see all of your beautiful faces. Welcome to Metro Praise International. On behalf of all of the pastors and the leaders, we thank you for being here. And we are so grateful that we get to live life with you and serve the Lord with you. Our services here are every Sundays at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. We're going to do that again. Elevate. Thank you. Fridays at 7 p.m. for 11 to 18 years old or rocking it out for Jesus. That's where you want to be if you're in that age group. They are just loving on God, winning their friends for the Lord. And it's just a powerful time. We want you guys to join us for our All Nations Dinner. It's next week. November 15th at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Who's ready to cook some of their awesome food and bring it to share? Come on. Both services will be able to partake of this. So we would just want to be excited about it, enjoy each other's fellowship as we share food. And let me uh, just really encourage you and challenge you, bring friends. Don't come alone that day. Bring some friends, invite your families that don't know the Lord or are really not plugged into a church. Let them use, uh, use this to, to bring them in and let them experience the love uh, that God has for them through the church, all right? And then we have our Thanksgiving outreach, November 26th at 9.30 a.m. Thanksgiving morning, we're going to be meeting here at MPI. Everybody is welcome to come. We are going to be going to the west side by Ohio Park area, kind of like Ohio and Cicero, hosted by Universal MB Church. So we're going to be joining their church to serve the community to give out a free Thanksgiving meal. So if you want to do that, bring your family Let's go out there with the bang and show the love of Jesus. Again, it's 9.30 a.m., November 26th, Thanksgiving morning. Meet here first, and then we'll all drive out there together. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God, loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Somebody say connect. If you turn your hand out around, you will see our, our schedule of life groups. The way that we want to connect you to the church and connect you to Jesus is through these life groups. We want to encourage you to find a place that meets the needs of you and your family. That's the whole schedule and the locations and times of this quarter. This week, here's a snapshot of what's happening. We're kicking it off today with our single moms. Child care is provided, 5 p.m. Awesome time. If you're a single mom, you got to be there. There's the address. Then we have Wednesday, our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old every week, meeting here at the church at 6.30 p.m. If you have children in that age group, you want them to be here. Drop them off, enjoy a night off uh, to yourself, and they will get discipled. They'll learn about Jesus, get into the presence of God. We have Royal Rangers Boys Club and Impact Girls Club for them that night. Thursday, we have our gang outreach. Come on, give it up for them. 18 years and up, 7 p.m., Meet at that address. You guys are going to hit the streets and preach the gospel to the gang members. Like literally, they're going out. They're finding them. We have favor with this one business where we get they get to go into this storefront business and just preach the gospel to all these young people. Every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies for you guys. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house. 18 years and up to go there, 7 p.m. If you're an adult, you got to be at these life groups. That's where you want to be, to build friendships in the church, to get closer to Jesus. And have a place of encouragement throughout the week. So you want to get life at these life groups. And then Saturday, our evangelism team is going out every week, meeting here at the church at 5 p.m. All ages are welcome. Some, so many times people are discouraged in their walk with God and, you know, they need direction. I'm telling you, the Bible says he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 
If you feel stuck, if you're in a time where it's like, man, I don't know how to serve God or live for God, come and evangelize. Preach the gospel on the streets. It will grow you. It will strengthen your faith. Being a witness is such a powerful thing, and we're all commanded to do it. So if you've never done it, you've got to do it. They're doing it every Saturday, so meet them and be encouraged. Then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We want to take you through our 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to take you through this one-on-one. Find one today. If you don't know who the leaders are in the church, you can come to me and I will let you know if you are serious about starting this discipleship journey with God. And then after you graduate the 101, you'll get into our 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where the discipleship journey that you're on continues and we train you to be a leader in the church so we could send you out to win more people. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that, say amen. Amen. We want you guys to do that with us. God has brought each and every one of you here, so we are a team. We're going to continue on in our uh, lesson for tithes and offerings. We are on section four of the Disciples Giving book, which is all about hindrances. Today is lesson three, overcoming unbelief. So a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. And we're learning that when we have those hindrances in our life, we need to push them aside. We need to break through and not allow those hindrances to be a stumbling block in our faith to the Lord. We're going to read in Malachi 3.10. You could turn in your Bibles or you could look up at the screen. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not that there will not be enough room to store it. Here are the main points from that verse. Number one, do you believe God commanded the tithe? If we don't believe God actually wants us to tithe, then we won't do it consistently because we will look at it more as paying a bill, and no one likes to pay bills. However, if we really believe God commanded us to give 10%, we will joyfully do it. And that's the difference between religion and relationship. So when you truly have a relationship with Jesus, when you're truly uh, following his commands out of a heart of love for him and for truth, then it's, it's going to be done in joy. Number two, do you believe God will bless your giving? Sometimes we think God is just wanting to play make-believe with us. Thus, we don't pray with faith to earnestly receive his best in our lives. However, if you truly believe your seed will meet your need, then you will give expecting a bountiful harvest from God. When we give and are faithful to our tithes and offerings, it is an act of worship. We are praying, we are doing it in faith, and we are believing, expecting God to do great things for us. Number three, do you believe in heaven? Many people, even Christians, forget that there is an actual place called heaven where God can open the floodgates. How many of you guys want those floodgates opened in your life? Come on. And pour out blessings. Therefore, if more people believed in heaven, they would store more treasures there than just here on earth. And that's the point of it all. When we're obeying God and we're doing what he commands, we're faithfully giving in our finances and trusting him in that area, we're storing up for ourselves treasures there where uh, thieves can't steal and rust cannot destroy it. Here's a summary. Overcome unbelief in giving 
by putting your faith in who God is and what he promised to do. That's where our faith belongs. It's in Christ and his promises and believing that he will do what he said to do as we do our part. It's being faithful and obedient to him. Let's apply this to our life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have not trusted and believed in God's word concerning giving. And number three, ask God to increase your faith for both giving and receiving in his kingdom. If you want to do that, stand up to your feet with me, please. As we prepare to give the Lord our very best, our tithes and our offerings. This is an act of worship. We do it in reverence before the Lord because we want to honor him. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income. And an offering is anything above that. That is an amount between you and the Lord that you feel he's impressed on your heart to give. And we designate that here at MPI towards building and mission. So during the year, we'll have various missions projects that we can give to and are faithful to. And then we also have our building fund. And they're not switching the side because I forgot to do the confession. So let's confess this thing over our life, these powerful words. And then we're going to continue on, okay? One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Come on, we want to do that in our tithes, in our offerings, as our offerings go to two different places here. It's towards missions or building fund. We want to thank you for joining us on the building fund that we've been on this year for that lit up Metro Praise International sign to go across the building. We are so close, and we have a praise report for you guys. We want to let you know how much we've raised, but we only have about less than $1,000 to go. So give it up, clap it up for you guys, for God's faithfulness, because in October we raised $1,147 with leftover $1,061, and people have already given to that. So you guys want to hear what the challenge is? We want to knock it out today. We're going to be ordering that sign this week because we only have to put half of it down. So we're well above what we need. We are so close. And here's the challenge. Ten people giving $100 and it's over. And I know for a fact my family's already done it and one other person, if not more, already. So we are so close. A hundred people could give ten or ten people could give a hundred. So let's keep being faithful. If you've given that promise to the Lord through the end of the year, do it. But if you want to increase that and say, by faith, I'm going to sow this seed. We'll knock it out today. We're going to order that sign no matter what. So we're believing for God to continue to meet the need and abundance and overflow. Amen. We thank you guys. This is a team effort. It's amazing what God's people can do when we come together. Amen. Praise the Lord. We also have two other convenient ways for you to give or purchase items in the church using your debit or credit cards. One is online at our easy-to-use website, and the other is in the back with either me or Pastor Griselda. If you have any questions about purchasing or giving, you could talk to us after service. Let's recite this verse. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord that your word is true, that we put our faith, our trust, our belief in your word and your promises. And I pray, oh God, that you would pour 
uh, forth a blessing, that you would open up those floodgates of heaven, that you would pour blessings in our life, that we wouldn't have room to receive through our obedience to you and our tithes and our offerings. God, may this act of worship be pleasing in your sight. I pray that you would meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Bring your prosperity to your people with raises and promotions. I pray that favor would come, that we would bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give, and thank you so much for your generosity. Make some noise if you love Jesus. Can I get a whoop, whoop? Amen. Frost does not scare you because you're a Chicagoan. My wife, as we were driving out of the neighborhood, we saw some frost on the roofs, and we felt a little chill on our, down our spines. But then we slapped each other and said, no, we're Chicagoans. This is what November's supposed to be. But how many have been enjoying the mild November? Have you guys been enjoying that mild October? Man, it's been so much fun, so much fun. Well, I want to just encourage you before we go into our sermon today on Abide. I want to just encourage you. Let's knock out this uh, building fund today. We started off with the goal of raising monies for a van, and we got that in less than six months. So we divided the year into two portions, six and six, six months apiece. And we said, let's go for the van for six months, and let's go for this sign. We knocked out that van in about four and a half months. It's in the back. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. You guys did awesome. And now we're here in the second week of November with only a G left, $1,000. And that means today we can knock it out because you know what? I know I can put in the order because they only need a half down, 4500 I know I can put in the order and the rest will come in. I know that. But I want to come in this week to the office and I want to say, you know what? We knocked this out. And here's my commitment to you. We're not going to bring up any more buildings funds for the rest of the year. See, that's the kind of church we are. We're not going to say, well, now that we got extra time. 
time. I think we need something new around here. You know, no, we set a goal for the year, and let's end it that second week of November. And then I would challenge you, you know, give to missions. That's what you can do to help us in this church. Or give to your charity, your favorite charity around the city as the holidays are coming up. That uh, you can be faithful in that. But I believe we can do it. My wife and I believe that we're going to give 100 That means there's only $900 left. Some have already come to us and said, hey, we're going to put in 100 You can give online. You can give in the back as you're walking out. I just believe this church is a generous church. All the times you guys have been here, I never pull the pastor card. But I just say, let's just do it so we can put it, put it to rest. Look at your neighbor and say, put that baby to rest. Amen. Well, I want to thank you guys for helping me with praying for me during the last week. I was in seminary doing my doctoral studies, and I made a friend, and my new friend's name is Stefan. He's all the way from Germany, and he came to visit us today, and he's going to share some things with us. Would you give a hand clap as Stefan comes? Pastor Stefan. Pastor Stefan is a pastor of a growing, thriving church in Germany. His dad is a pastor. They love the Lord. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're going after the things of God. And so he's taught me a few words, and I want us all to greet him and say good morning to him in German. And how do we say good morning? Guten Morgen. Guten Morgen. Say, say it together. One, two, three. Amen. Thank you. Wow, it's wonderful to be here. You real, I, f I really feel welcomed. And to just see you guys, it's just awesome for me. I feel encouraged. It's very good for me to be here and to make a new friend, to meet this wonderful guy. And um, you said, Pastor Stefan, actually, if you asked me who I am, I would, I would say, um, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. Well, I'm pastoring a church, but I'm not a pastor. I am a beloved child of God, and by the grace of God, a forgiven sinner, serving the most high and besides i'm pastoring a church so um this is my first priority and um you, you asked me just to to share one thing or maybe two things um and i was thinking about i think this week has been important for me because as germans we we kind of struggle with leadership and this week was all about leadership the theology of leadership and i got convicted about our German heritage and our German tradition, our, our history, especially our history. So we kind of feel uh, we are not allowed to lead. I feel I, I'm not allowed to lead because leadership is dangerous and bad. It, it can come to bad outcomes, you know what I mean? So passionate, strong leadership is dangerous. And in a way, I feel God um, redeemed me from this false thought this week. So uh, I'm going to go back and going to lead our church and going to lead it to Jesus and keep leading and keep um, yeah, s uh, searching Jesus. And um, we need prayer. So I would appreciate prayer, especially, um, let me just share one, th one last uh, thing. Um, maybe you have heard of this refugee crisis in Germany. We have, um, by the end of the year, we'll come close to one million refugees coming in from Syria, Iran, Afghanistan, and all these countries, Egypt. So uh, in two weeks, right next to where my church is, there's going to be set up um, a container village, a refugee camp for a couple hundred refugees. It's not only Christians. There are persecuted Christians, but there are also Muslims and other, just other people. So it's right across the corner from my church, and I would appreciate you praying for um, boldness and wisdom. How can we be... How can we um, be a sign of love for these guys, you know, just uh, in cooperation of 
incorporate the love of God. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we want to be, be sharing to them and bless them. And so I would appreciate prayer for that. Thank you very much. I would like to have uh, Jose. Would you come forward? Because Jose has a great heart for the Muslims. Um, Jose and his father, both Jose's. Yes, come on up. We are going to pray for this crisis. These are a father and son. And, uh, you know, Jose Sr. has identified with Muslim at being that his, his religion. And Jose has come to know Jesus. But I would like them to stand around you with just maybe a few of our men, Daryl, and then maybe um, Chris, would you come? And stand maybe over here so we can get away from this table. Would you stand this way? You guys, come around him. And we're going to pray for these dear refugees. Have you seen those pictures of them coming uh, to these European countries. And this just blows my mind that the church is right across the street from where they're going to be living. Could you imagine what that would be for us? We'd be so excited. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. But at the same time, that might intimidate us a little bit, like how do we go about this? How do we love the people? How do we help them? We don't want to offend them, but we really want to show them Jesus' love. And uh, sadly, this is the effects of Islam. You know, This is the effects of it. And we want to show them a better way. Not that Christianity has always uh, Christianity has its mistakes we want to show them there's a better way not religion but the relationship with Jesus amen so let's pray Jose for their church pray for the dear child of God who happens to be a pastor he's such a humble man amen. Lord I thank you for my brother right here and I pray that he would live in the freedom of Christ and not in the condemnation of what is or what his country did God I pray that they will be the light of the earth in Germany I pray that the people would see that Jesus can turn a nation around, that Jesus turned around Germany. I pray that my brother would help lead over there, that he would help make disciples to make disciples. I pray that they would reach out to these people who are lost. You said to love the, love the aliens, God. I pray that he would love these people who, who have been kicked out of their country, God. And they would show the love of Jesus to them, and, then you would, and they would be hospitable to him, God. I pray that you would have your way, that you would save their souls. And those people that are there, I pray that they would become disciples, that they would join his church, and they would become children of God that happen to pastor. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Everybody say, Asfidasen. Asfidasen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. We'll hang out afterwards. Thank you, Stefan. John chapter 15, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Abide. Everybody say abide. This is such a precious part of my heart when it comes to serving Jesus because I believe that abiding in Christ is where our life comes from. Knowing who Jesus is and letting his love flow through you every day is what makes the difference. So I want you to see Jesus' teaching on this as we learn today about daily abiding. Everybody say daily abiding. Thank you. you I, I want to help you and I preach to myself, to everybody here, to abide daily in Jesus. Now, this is going to be one of our best messages. If you're taking notes, it's also online, everything you're looking at here, my notes. But if you're excited about time management or you need some help in these things, this is going to be one of my best messages on managing your busy life, de-stressing your life, focusing on what matters most, majoring on the majors, minoring on the minors. So get ready for an application of how to daily abide with the busyness of your life. I was talking to Stefan, and guess how many a weeks of paid vacation the Germans get? We get, a, on average, about two to three weeks of paid vacation. Guess how many they get? Six weeks. 
six weeks, man, because he was telling me he was traveling all through America, taking the, the highway, seeing the Grand Canyon for three weeks. And I'm like, how do you do this? He goes, we German sweet. This is my German accent. It's also my Russian accent. It's every European accent. It's my Greek accent. He says, we get six weeks of vacation. I'm like, oh, my gosh, six weeks, that's something, you know. But then we took him shooting guns in Wisconsin, and so uh, we may think it's crazy they get six weeks, and he may think we're crazy for being Christians and shooting submachine guns and all of these. Uh, we shot a Desert Eagle. We shot an AR. We were shooting shotguns, and so that's another story. But, but, you know, whether or not you get six weeks of vacation or none, you know, you need to learn how to abide in Christ. Life can be uh, to tough and stressful at times, and here's today's message geared towards that, so I hope that you're ready. Let's look at this passage, John 15, 1 and onward, and every time you see the word abide, can you say it out loud? One, two, three, abide, amen. I am the true vine, my, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, thank you, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you Abide in me. Thank you. Reading on from 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not, amen, he is cast out as a branch, uh, cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words Abide in me, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. Let's read these last two verses. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and Abide in his love. Isn't that awesome? We see ten times in these ten verses the word abide. The word abide means to dwell, to remain, to stay. Our vision has a part called connect. Connect, mentor, send. The connection we have to God should never be disconnected. Just as electricity gets its source by the continuous connection to the power that it needs, we need to be continually connected to Jesus. Now, I love this about Jesus because I have to study other religions and to understand different belief systems. And I want to tell you this stands out among them all. We are connected personally to Jesus. We are not just studying Jesus' teachings like Jesus is our sensei and we're just learning the karate chops of Jesus. No, Jesus lives inside of me. He is more than just a sensei. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That is the precious promise of the Holy Spirit that was given to us when he ascended to heaven, that he would come and dwell in the Holy Spirit and he would be with us forever unto the end of the age. How many are happy we have the Holy Spirit abiding with us, bringing Jesus to us. So I don't just have religion, I have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus initiates that relationship by love. Look at those last verses. Has the Father loved me? Think about that. Has the Father loved Jesus? 
In all of eternity, they have been together in that triune relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father has had ultimate, perfect love for Jesus, and that is the same kind of love he gives us. As the Father has loved me, or the Father's kind of love, I love you with. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Can you think of any greater love? I'm married to my wife. I'm also a father to my children. But yet I know the love of God is greater than my love as a husband and my love as a father. It is my source of where I get love. And yet I find myself failing at it at times. But yet God's love never fails. As we hear that in wedding times, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, all of these wonderful attributes. At the end, what does it say? Love never fails. People may fail you. Other people in the job may fail you. The country may fail you. Economy may fail you. But who will never fail you? God. Because God is love, the Bible says. So God's love will never fail you. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm so excited that Jesus asks us to have an abiding relationship based on love, not just based on raw law. I have a law, the law of Christ in my heart that tells me not to steal, that tells me not to lie, but that is not what causes me not to lie. It's not the black and white letter of the law that makes me want to keep commandments. It's the love of God. And isn't that the same with my wife? She and I agree not to have an adulterous affair, but it's not a marriage covenant, that piece of paper that keeps me loyal to her. It's our love for each other. And I want to be so full of my wife's love that I don't have room for any other woman out there and I want to fill her love tank so much that if any guy at the gym or somebody at the, at the corner store winks at her she says I ain't got no time for that I got a man and I got a good man that knows how to please me like a woman like a natural woman I want her to come out singing a song are you hearing me because she knows what it's like to be loved and, and adored now, we're not an agricultural community, but obviously we can put this together, vine, branches, and fruit. But look at this picture of a vineyard. The, um, the protruding stick right here, if I can think of another word, I will, but it's a vine. But this protruding stick is the vine in the vineyard. It is the living uh, organism that provides life from the ground to the branches. You see these branches as these green shoots coming out from the vine. The vine is stronger than the branches. Christ is stronger than us, but the same life that is in the vine is in the branches. So you may say today, Pastor, I just barely made it to church. I don't know if I can live for Jesus beyond tomorrow. I got a lot of pressures coming my way. Well, I want to tell you, there is power on the inside of you that's stronger than what you're facing in this world. Everything that God has is flowing through you today. You may not feel like you're the straw of heaven, but you are the straw of heaven. And God is sucking that power through every mess that you're in right now so it can become your message. He's bringing every test that you're facing to be your testimony. That is the power of God on the inside. 
That is what that branch is getting life from, that life force of the vine. And then you see the fruit is coming out, and it is beautiful. And from that fruit comes the precious wine and grape juice that we consume. But yet if you just look here, even as picturesque as this uh, uh, vine and branches are in this vineyard, yet there is this leaf there, and that leaf doesn't look like it's doing so well, does it? That leaf looks like it's struggling a little bit. It has some holes going through it. Well, guess what God likes to do to those leaves? The vine dresser is another word for gardener, vine dressing, dressing the vine. Guess what the Father loves to do to those, vine, uh, to those leaves? Snip, 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 look at your neighbor and, get ready for, and say, get ready for some pruning. You see, a part of our Christian life is abiding in the vine. We are those lush branches. We are bearing forth fruit, but every now and then there's an attitude that comes out. And it's not a good one, and there's some ways of behaving that comes out. And I have to confess before this congregation that I suffered road rage a couple of days ago. I preach it to you, and so I have to learn myself that i got to be patient in traffic. And there was that leaf of road rage coming out. And the Bible says that he comes into the vineyard and he massages that. He massages that dead thing and he just loves on it. Is that what the Bible says? What does he do with that dead thing? What does he do? He prunes it. So sometimes we have stinking thinking. Sometimes we have a bad attitude. And we just want God to understand. Well, God, don't you understand? This is my time of the month. Hello, somebody. I'll tell it as it is. Or, fellas, doesn't God understand? I got bills to pay. I got a right to be mad. Oh, doesn't God understand? This is the traffic of Chicago. None of these people can drive. Come on. That was my excuse. No, God doesn't come and say, oh, let me, just, let me just pet that dead leaf. Let me just nurture that. No, he comes along as a vine dresser and just snips it right off. You ever watch these guys do those things? I'm not talking about Mr. Miyagi, you know, just, you know, doing that with that bungee tree, whatever. No, 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 that's not what these guys do. They're not just, no, they're coming, snip, snip, snip. They know what they're doing. They're pros, but they move so fast because this vineyard is huge. And they take out that diseased leaf or that branch that's going to die because it will affect the rest of the branches. It will pollute that vineyard. That insect that got there or that, that thing that happened here can cause more problems. And even if it doesn't cause a huge problem for everybody to see, it's taking life away from something that needs the life. This dead, dying thing is needing to live itself, and so it's becoming like a cancer on that vine. It needs to be cut out so that life can go back to these precious grapes. And so when we put this whole uh, message together of Jesus and teaching of abiding, he's telling us to be those branches in his vine, to bring forth much fruit. This brings glory to God and to allow him joyfully to prune us from the things in our life that don't belong. Can I hear an amen? Now, today I want to talk to you about abiding in Jesus' love. When we think about this passage, that what sticks out to me the most is this sense of abiding in love. And so I made this graph so you guys could think about what is the center of your life? What is the center of your heart? What is the center of your family? What is the center of all you do? I hope that it's Jesus' love. If you replace anything with Jesus' love, you will not be satisfied on the inside. 
It would be like trying to fill a bucket that has a hole in it. And every time you put water in the bucket, it leaks out to the ground and it's never full. The love of God seals the brokenness of your life and fills you up overflowing. So I want you to look at this graph and also consider what Jesus said. He said, if you uh, abide in me, you'll abide in my love. And we get excited, and that's wonderful. And then he goes on to say, and now if you're abiding in my love, you'll abide in my commandments. So there is a responsibility to serving God. Now, some of you might say, I don't remember him saying that. Let me just make sure I show you about commandments because they are important. Somebody say commandments. See, he says here, my, as my Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And everybody go, ah. Oh. Doesn't that just feel good? We know that's why we are here. Now look at verse 10. If you keep my what? My commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments. So look at this. As important as it was for Jesus to keep the Father's commandments is as important as it is for you to keep his commandments. Well, here's the good news about keeping Jesus' commandments. Guess what Jesus' two greatest commandments start off with? Guess what they say? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Did you join a church today that has that vision, or were you in church? Did you hear that? Loving God and loving people. So even the commandments that are so important that we keep are still about love. Somebody say, it's all about love. Come on, so I abide in the love of Jesus, and now I keep the first and greatest commandment. To love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love my neighbor as myself. Now ask yourself this question. If I keep those two commandments, to love God with everything in my heart and love my neighbor as myself, will I break all the other commandments? No, I can't. Go, go to today. We're talking about being faithful in our tithes and offerings. If I love God with all my heart, am I going to be disobedient in giving my finances to God? Nope. Let's go back to me. Heck, I got a small no on that. <laughs> If I, if I love God, am I going to keep the commandment of giving him my best? Yes, I am going to do that. Maybe I should start it off with an easier one. If I love God, will I take his name in vain? Okay, that's an easy one. I'm not going to blaspheme the name of the Lord. If I love God, am I going to put coming to church as a priority in my life? Right? So don't you see how all those other commandments come into loving God? And now what about the other ones, loving people? If I love my female neighbor or the woman I see at Humboldt Park doing Bariqua Fest, uh, wearing her booty shorts and, you know, with her little tattoos and all that, if it, it is showing off her stomach, making a little belly button ring. You guys know what I'm talking about. Let's keep it real. Oh, gosh, I lost y'all. It's going to be a tough day. It's going to be tough uh, for the pastor. Please pray for me, poor Fibor. Pray for me. Now, I know what that type A woman looks like at Humboldt Park because i got to be careful when I'm out there. I'm going to keep it real. And Humboldt Park is a place, Stefan, where we go to witness. And everybody knows that there's Boricua senoritas out there, and they're uh, beautiful. How do you say beautiful? Oh, so I did say it right. Okay, and I'm making my wife mad. Everybody's getting mad. This is my wife. But, men, we go out there. we got to be honest. Okay, women, we'll talk about you shopping for shoes and the problem of sin and lust there at another time. Will's talking about the lust of the flesh. I'm just making everybody possibly that I can mad today. So follow me. We're, we're in Humble Park. I know what this looks like. Here she comes. She's got her little mini, you know, little stuff on, and here she's showing her stuff off for everybody to see. Okay, now if I love her as I love myself, 
Will I lust after her? See, if I truly love her, I will not objectify her. See, I know we laugh and we try to pretend the pastor is the only one that does this, but every man here deals with that. Amen? Every person deals with things like that, sexual lust. Okay, will I steal from my neighbor if I love them? No, can't steal from them. Will I gossip about them on Facebook? No, if I love them and I treat them as myself, I wouldn't want anybody doing that to me. So now you see the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is saying it's all about love, abide in that, and then it's all about my commandments, abide in them, but they're also all about love. So is there ever a time when it's not about love? Not in the kingdom of God. So what are we going to learn to do today? What we are going to learn to do today is we're going to learn to abide in that love and live it out in everyday ways. So let's take, for example, this chart right here that I spent a lot of time working on. Though, though it looks really simple, I spent a lot of time on this, and I want to go through it slowly. So maybe not as preachy as I was uh, last week, so be patient with me. But I really want everybody to get this. So consider your life being these five major things. You have your family. You have discipleship, which is your commitment to God, your work your responsibilities, which could also be continuing education or going to school if you're a young person, and your goals, all these things you want to accomplish in life. I just had a chance to talk to Mr. Swartz. He'll be retiring in three months. Let's give it up for him. He's worked hard his whole life. He's a good man. My father just drove 18 hours all the way to Florida to his second home there. You know, they leave the Midwest so fast, so fast. You know, we try to get them to stay longer for the grandkids. They live in Fort Wayne half the year. But when it's time to go, baby, they're going to Florida. They're going to the land of palm trees and beaches and oceans. And my dad turns 72, uh, 70 this year. My mom is 72, right? So, you know, goals, retirement. I want to be in Florida. Did I mess it up? Okay, why are you guys laughing at me? Yeah, I know, I know. She knows everything. You know, you know my wife knows everything. She does. She knows everything. So here's the thing. we got to look at all of these major issues of our life, family, discipleship, work, responsibility, and goals. And what we need to do is center them in the love of God. And that love of God is not just some esoteric, ooey-gooey love. No, it's a specific kind of love working itself out through our devotion to God and the commands that he gives us in that category and the category of treating our neighbors as ourselves through love. So we see now that all that we do in life needs to be centered abiding in the love of God. Now, if you see that first outward circle, once we get out of the love category, we get into the fruitful category. Everybody say fruitful. So think of that vine. Imagine if I just took a vine and split it right in half. This is what you would be looking at in a sense. This heart of the matter would be the love of God and the love of people. And then as the things branch out, this would be the fruitfulness. But there are things in our life that are good, like family, that can go beyond just being fruitful, kind of like that rogue leaf that was dying and can become distractions. Now, I colored that area gray because they're not really sins. They're not things that the Bible says do not do. So, for example, in the family, the Bible doesn't say, Joe, you can't play Halo 5 till 3 in the morning, okay? The Bible doesn't say that. I'm still a gamer. I love to play games. Halo 5 just came out. I'm willing, waiting to get some time to play it. And so the Bible doesn't say you cannot do that. 
But if I begin to put my video game playing above my children, and here I'm playing the video game, and my children are saying, hey, Dad, can we play? Can we go out? And I'm like, no, it's my turn. It's Daddy's turn. Daddy's going to be playing a long time. See, that distraction is not going to bring forth fruit. But what is worse than that are things that bring death. And there are two ways that things bring death in our life, I believe, as we look at the Bible. These could be good things that we take out of their place and we start to make them idols. They bring death. Or they could be sins, things that God told us not to do. So let's take, for example, the category of family. When we are going to be fruitful in our family, it's when we put our family first above other people. So when fathers begin to come home and have meals with their wife and kid and kids and where mothers begin to teach their children the things of God, right? It's when children obey their parents. These things are obvious. And I'm going to give a whole lot of lists of how to help you in these areas. But just follow with me as we begin this to get a good, clear example. That's what a fruitful family is going to look like. And in that fruitful family, there may be soccer games. There may be, uh, you know, trips to the dentist. You know, you got to take your kids there. And those will all be fruitful if we make sure that we do it the right way. But if we become unorganized or we become lazy or we become bitter in our obligations as parents or husbands and wives, we will begin to be distracted by these things in our life. We could begin to get so busy taking our children to their dance recitals, to their soccer practices, that now we're not abiding in Christ. We're not close to the Father's heart. We're getting caught up in a worldly mentality of doing and doing and doing. And then if we're not careful, those very things that are distracting us can become deaths in our family. So you take, for example, the father that says, I can't go to church on Sunday i got to take my kids to the soccer game. He has allowed that distraction of soccer to now bring death into his family. I'm not saying that they're going to fall over dead, and I'm not even necessarily saying they're going to lose their salvation. But I do believe if you start having these rings all turned to death, that is the one that Jesus says becomes then a dead branch, and there that dead branch is what is cut off and thrown into the fire. Isn't that what it says in John chapter 2? We should take this very seriously. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And what does he do with those ones that are taken away? Look at what he says here. He says in verse 6, he casts that branch that he casts out as a branch. He is cast out as a branch, rather, and is withered. They gather them and what? Throw them into the and they are burned. So is this something that we should be taking serious? Can good things become idols in our lives? Absolutely. Are there things that are always fighting for your attention as a Christian? Absolutely. And so what I would like to do is give you some things to think about as you begin to live out your Christian life that you would determine to not let anything take you out of the realm of being fruitful, that you would fight to abide in Christ. It's easy to have a messy room. It's hard to keep a clean room. Can I hear somebody say amen? It's easy to have a messy desk, but it's hard to keep an organized desk. This is the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting through us. God wants us to fight to abide in Him. God wants us to remain in Him. God wants us to be sensitive in our heart to know when we have walked away from love and been distracted by the glitter of this world. 
It's almost like the donkey with the carrot in front of it. What is your carrot that the devil just puts in front of you and then you just march off mindlessly into that place of distraction and death? Does all the devil have to do is just put the carrot of a promotion in front of you? Nothing wrong with working hard and succeeding. But all of a sudden, this good thing in your job, this fruitful job, this job that's a part of your calling can now provide a distraction, an idol. And if you're not careful, it will take you from your family. It will take you from the ultimate goals that God is setting for you. And then you'll find yourself in a place of death. Just for example, I work from home, talking about the work section of our life. So I work from home. My wife homeschools. I have it really good. Amen. I'm pretty spoiled. But you know what? That's also a lot of emotional stress because I know some men are saying, I'm thankful I get to go away from the house for a little bit to get away from the woman folk and the kid folk. Now, there ain't no man going to say it now, ladies, so don't you look at your man. But there's a lot of men that are happy they get to work outside of the home. Trust me when I tell you that. So I work in the home, but now for uh, last week, rather, I had to go out to school. I had to go through an hour and a half of traffic to go to Elgin to Deerfield, be there for eight to nine hours, ten hours, depending on if I stayed later, and then come back in another hour and a half of traffic. Three hours in traffic, nine hours in lectures, and I instantly felt the pressure that many of you feel, instantly. Instantly, I felt tired. When I came home, dinner was already ready, and I wasn't ready for the dinner. I needed to relax. Instantly, I was rearranging our day so that I could go to bed early instead of staying up late. How many can relate to this, men, women alike? It doesn't matter. Come on, we all know this is true. And I, I even went deeper than that. And I said, not only can I relate to the family that's getting burned out, I said I can relate to the father or to the husband that would cheat on a wife because now my life is over there. I'm not at my home anymore, and if there was a coworker over here that complimented me, told me what I wanted to like, uh, told me what I, what I like to hear, and my wife and I got into a fight, I could begin to see the heart of a man so easily shifting the attention from the home that he's only there for a few hours to this place where he's always getting what he wants for eight hours. Hello, somebody. Don't act like people don't cheat, all right? Let's be real in church today. I'm praising God of 10 years of marital faithfulness and bliss. Hallelujah. Amen. But I just felt it. I did. Not the temptation. There was nobody there hitting on me. Praise God. Stefan may be wondering now, who would he be thinking about? You know, that might put me in another category. But uh, God loves all people. Amen. But anyways, I, I felt it. And this became more real to me. And not only that, let me just paint the picture before I go through the details. Trust me, I've got the details. Everybody say, he's got the details. I've got 12 points for you, friends, with Bible scriptures and everything to go along. You will get there soon enough, okay? But before I go into all those details, let me just, just butter the bread a little bit here so you can really whet your appetite for this. When you're looking at your goals, you know, goals are good things. If we don't have a goal, we won't hit anything. So if you don't have a target in life, you won't hit it. You'll, you'll be running aimlessly in life, beating the air. You won't have the goal to succeed because uh, to know you've accomplished it because you've never set it. 
So it's good to set your goals. You know, young people, I want to go to college. I want to be in this career. You know, those of us who have gone to college, I want to have this kind of a family. I want to live in this kind of house. Praise God. Set your goals as high as you can see. Set your vision as high as God gives you the ability to see. He's given me the ability to see 100,000 disciples in Chicago. Now, sometimes when I was younger and I was starting the church, I would talk to people at Bible studies, and they would go pastor from another church because you know, we don't have weirdies like this in our church, okay, but they would be from another. I'm just teasing half kid. But they would be like, they'd be like, Pastor, oh, you you want a hundred thousand. I want a million disciples. Well, well, Bubba, I could say I want nine million disciples, and then someone could say I want seven billion. We could all be silly and just say we want the whole planet, right? I mean, obviously that's God's desire. But you see, 100,000 to me at that time was triple the size of the largest church in the world. And it's still, uh, largest church in America, rather, and it's still pretty close to that right now. Joe Osteen's church in Houston is only 40,000. So I, as a pastor, when I closed my eyes, I was imagining a church that is three times larger than any church in this continent. Hello. Or North America, right? So think about that. See, and so, and I didn't just say 100,000 members, not just 100,000 people showing up in the door listening to a preacher tell a nice story. I said 100,000 disciples. So you see, I'm dreaming big. I'm dreaming as big as I know how. What is your big dream, right? Now watch, this thing even for me, 100,000 disciples could turn into a distraction if I start treating you like we're Amway for Jesus or Mary Kay for Jesus or selling vitamins for Jesus. Has anybody ever been asked to sell those before? Has anybody ever showed up? No, y'all lose. I'm making everybody mad today. Now I make, I got a home business, Pastor. Leave me alone. It's okay if you got a home business. It's all right. Keep your home business. But have you ever been in those scenarios? You're, you're invited over to your friend's house and you're like, man, I haven't seen you for a while. It's so odd that you just invited me over to your house for dinner. That's cool, though. I'll sit and hang out with you. And then all of a sudden, after the dinner, they pull out the chart or they pull out the brochure. Now, listen, if you sell 10 vitamins a month, you'll make $1,000. If you get 10 other people to send, tell, send 10 vitamins a month, you'll make $10,000. You know, just something like that. You see how that can be a distraction for me? Because that will have me not treating you as a person but as a product. Okay, okay, I need more of you. I need more of you. Okay, multiply, multiply, sell, 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 sell. You see, even a good thing can become a distraction. And then what if I said I'm willing to compromise to achieve that goal? Well, seems like the country's turning its turning its uh, belief on homosexuality. Let me test the test the cultural climate. Which way is the wind blowing? Oh, the doctrinal wind of sexuality is blowing this way. A man who has mutilated himself and is pretending to be a woman, he's now woman of the year. Oh, I might as well follow this way. See, that would bring death to the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, I hear my friends over here at these wonderfully fast-growing churches. Not every big church is bad and not every uh, small church is spiritual. But I'm telling you, all churches need to be doctrinal. Hello. Not every big church is bad. Not every small church is spiritual. But every church needs to be doctrinal. Amen. That was worth repeating. I hear my friends saying this. Oh, pastor, the wind of doctrine, the wind is telling us just have 60-minute services. Don't mention hell. Don't mention sin. Motivate them. Teach them how to be better moms and dads. People love those subjects. Teach them how to succeed and make money in life. But don't mention sin. Don't mention hell. 
You see how now my desire for 100,000 could move from a distraction to where I'm using you to where now I'm even changing the doctrines of the church so that I can have more of you. Death. And every good thing you have in your life that Christ put in your heart to desire, it can turn into a distraction and in the end lead to death. So the idea is here when we abide in Christ and we abide in his commandments, it's not just the easy stuff like don't steal, don't hurt nobody. You know, No, it's the tough day-to-day operating in the kingdom of God, hearing his heart, is this right for me? It may have been right for me to take on these extra hours before I was married, but now my wife wants to see me more. Maybe I need to pass up this promotion to protect my marriage. Or maybe I've been only doing what it takes to get along just to barely pay my bills, and maybe now God's asking me to get up early to add to to my job to get a promotion. You see, well, which one do I do, Pastor? The one that God tells you to do. See, as you're abiding here, it's the one that he tells you. How do we live it out? I can't just give you the points. I could give you the, the, the ideas here, but you have to live it out. And this was a tough thing for me because Nancy uh, and I were talking about it. It was almost like I wanted to fill all of these things up with everything you should do and you shouldn't do and you can't do and this. And, this. and then all of a sudden I just got to the point of, well, now they're abiding in me. Now you're abiding in Joe. Now you would have to come knock on my door every time. Now, Joe, I got a question. Should I buy these shoes or these shoes? You know, should I, should I marry this person or that person? Should I work at this job? And it's good to get counsel. The Bible says in the counsel of many, victory is sure. But you see, too many pastors and leaders try to have people abide in them. And so what I want to do here for the remaining few moments that we have is I just want to challenge you by these main scriptures. These, I have five main scriptures for each one, of, uh, a scripture for each one of these things. And I want us to determine in our heart that we're going to set that as our goal and guard everything else. Amen. Okay, so let's go to family. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And let's look at the standard for family. If you're ready to look at the standard for family, somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul is addressing the church, and he's encouraging them with the role of the family uh, and the roles that people will play in this family. This is what a family will look like. I almost wanted to do a whole sermon series this month on families, just because it's so important to the church. Starting in verse 21, and he's, um, or rather, start with me in verse, is it 21? Oh, yes, I'm in the wrong version. That's why. Please forgive me. Here comes the NIV. Okay. There we go. And no, we're not. I'm getting better at this. Here we go. Has anybody noticed that there's a new thing going on with the laptop here? There we go. Everybody say submit. Thank you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. So it starts off with everybody submit to each other. Be humble. Husbands, be humble with your wives. Wives, be humble with your husbands. Kids, be humble with your children. Parents, be humble with your your, your children. I messed it. No, children, be humble with your parents, rather. You get what I'm saying. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband, to, uh, to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. 
Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also submit to your husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same wives, uh, same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. How many are catching some concepts here? There's a lot of good things to abide on here, isn't there? So I can't go through every one of your lives and say, well, when my husband does this, what do I do about that? And if, my, and if the husband comes to me, well, my wife does this, what do I do? Well, here's the overarching thing. Submit to each other. Love each other. Serve each other. Abide in Christ's love for each other. The best thing I can do for my wife is abide in Christ's love, treat her as I do myself, right? In the same way, husband ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's the golden rule set a different way. If I love my wife, I really love myself. So that means these cheating bozos out there really don't love themselves. They're torturing themselves because the greatest thing for their soul is to be in a one-woman relationship. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Now we get the example that this is to help us see that as Christ is with his church, so is the marriage. For we are many members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, everybody say children. If you're next to your children, nudge them right now. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and your mother, with, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, how many fathers do I have here today? Amen. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Amen. What do we see here? For our abiding in family, we see love. We see family order. We see selflessness. That is the heart of the matter. That is the foundation of your fruitfulness. If you or I ever turn aside from that, we are not in a good place. No matter how good it starts at first. No matter how good it starts. So let's say the wife, she begins to say, you know what? I was an independent woman before I got married. I make more than my husband. And my husband wants to make the final decision on the checkbook. Is that fair? Well, it may not be fair according to what Oprah says, but it's biblical according to what Paul says. And so that means you start in that place of saying, I'm going to trust him. And if you don't trust him, why, why did you marry him to begin with? What standard did you have of picking a husband? Hello. But if you trust him, you work it out together. Now the husband says, I got my, my wife's money, and I'm going to make it rain at the Cubs game or the Bulls game or whatever's going on now. I'm, I'm going to make it rain. Hold on. Is that honoring her? Is that respecting her? You see, this is so simple but so hard to live, isn't it? We all get it. We all know what love looks like. We express it to each other all the time. And we all know what pride looks like. We all know what selfishness looks like. But the problem is sometimes it's hard to see that in our own life. It's hard to see when we're not operating in love. We're so easily deceived by our own desires to think this is what everybody else needs to do. But it's not what God wants us to do. And so we need to be humble. 
Now let's go on to the next one. Let's look at a, and, I, and by the way, I've got some examples of distractions here in the family, you know, busyness, overspending, laziness, and a scripture to help you encourage that. And then I got, you know, some of the popular deaths of families, you know, fighting, adultery, selfishness. And I got a scripture for that as well. So I don't have time to go through all that, but please do that on your notes. Let's look at discipleship. Everybody go with me to uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 14. How many believe in discipleship? Amen. This is our walk with the Lord. This is how we walk out our daily life with Jesus. This would be your personal devotions. This would be coming to church. It would be reading your Bible. How many believe in reading your Bible? Y'all believe in that? Awesome. Look at this scripture. It's so simple but yet profound. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. Look at that. There's a relationship element to our discipleship. And verse 14, he appointed 12 that they might what? Be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So Christ calling these people to him, what was the most important thing on his heart that day? That they may what? Be with him. Be with Jesus. So in church, I'm to be with Jesus. But that's not the only place. I'm to be with Jesus while I'm on my commute. I'm to be with Jesus while I'm at the job. How many think to yourself when you're at the job? Do you ever think when you're at the job? Does anybody have a job where they have to think? Okay, just making sure you're up here. I know it's getting long here, but can you hang in here for a little bit? How many think on your job? Have you ever thought to God? Have you ever put your mind on Christ? That's abiding in him. What happens is in the church, when we take the good things of church, serving, being in leadership, desiring to help others, and now we make those more important to being with Christ. And as pastors, I can, as a pastor, my wife and I, we can relate to this. I'll be preparing a sermon. I'll be meeting with a couple. I'll be helping someone get closer to God. And I'll have forgotten to pray. I'll have forgotten to make time in even my own mind to ask Jesus for his help as I'm teaching others to love him. Hello. Come on. Somebody say pray for your pastor. Thank you. You know, when we look at the world, there are so many distractions. And so we as Christians, we need to have vibrant personal devotions, daily making time to spend with God and having disciplines in our life that keep us abiding in him. When someone comes to the church and they're fired up for God and they begin to say, oh, man, I'm not only out of fire as I used to be. What happened to that person? They started losing the fruitfulness of their relationship and they let things distract them. They let what their friends were doing in the church distract them. They let those things happen, and they happen subtly, and before you know it, they're not abiding. And they're like, well, I'm doing the same stuff I used to. Yeah, but you're not doing it with the same heart you used to. You see, your heart has changed because you're distracted. You're, you're not in it for the same reasons anymore. Our hearts, once again, to reiterate this, are so easily distracted, guard your time with the Lord. Guard what you do when you come to church. Make sure that your heart is only for Him. I have all the other lists here that you can look at. You know, distractions are overcommitting. You know, you can have the problem in the church and in Christianity of trying to do too many things to impress people, like legalism. Also, you could go in the other direction of laziness. Ah, I just don't want to do anything for God. I'll just do what I, whatever I feel like. And then shallow relationships. You know, you never really let people into your life. Also, the deaths are gossip, compromise, false beliefs. Looking at your work life. Turn with me to Colossians 3.17 as Rachel comes, please. Colossians 
uh, 3.17. How many want to be encouraged to be fruitful on your job? Amen. The church should be able to encourage you in that today. So please give me a few moments here. You know we like to preach at you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. I like to preach, but I also like to teach, and I want you to hear this. This is so important. Look at verse 17. Paul is talking here. He says, and whatever you do. Somebody say, whatever. Come on. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So where are you going to work tomorrow? Are you going to do it unto God? Are you going to love the people you're serving? Are you going to love God while you're there? Are you going to stay focused on your calling to be there? So often we think that only callings come into the church or to pastors. No, but you have a calling. You have a calling to do your job. Think about before there was a church, Jesus gave Adam and Eve the calling to work at the land, to have dominion over the animals. Work may be a four-letter word, but it's not a curse word. And literally, I mean that. It's not a curse. Work is not a curse. Work is a part of your calling. Now, after the sin of Adam and Eve, there's a lot of hard work that we do. There's a lot of unappreciated jobs. There's a lot of you who don't get appreciated on your job. There's a lot of spinning the tires, feeling like you're not going anywhere. There's a lot of failure at times. Remember, failure is a thing, not a person. Companies may fail. An idea may fail. But you're more than a conqueror in Christ. But the Bible says, whatever you do, when you're there, do it unto God. Do it with thanksgiving. Lord, I'm thankful that I get to be here today. I'm thankful that I get to serve you in this way. Do you think that will change the way you go to work? How many think that will change the way you treat a customer tomorrow? How many think that will change, if you're a boss, the way you treat your employees? And I could just tell you over and over and over again how often these distractions come in, even in the church world, believe it or not, because this is my job, complaining. Just, oh, I don't like the way they do this. I don't like the way. And, and maybe you started off with a good heart. You were going to help make the company better. But now you're just complaining all the time. You're, you're getting distracted from why you're there. You're not there to complain. You're there to make that place better. And if you can't do it, find another place. No boss deserves your complaining attitude. Let us as Christians be the best we can be. Being a busybody, I watched the, the, the series The Office. Has anybody ever watched that TV series? Michael Scott is the biggest busybody I've ever seen. He's just wasting time, wasting time. They're not paying us to waste time. They're paying us to work. Laziness. And then what are deaths in our jobs and in our companies? Lacking integrity. That will, that will destroy any company. Nobody's too big to fail. They'll all come tumbling down, even governments. Corruption. Division. Fighting against each other. Let's go to responsibilities. How many have some responsibilities in life? Amen. Go to Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. One of the first Psalms, uh, really, it was the first Psalm that I memorized because it was the first one that I read, really. Psalm chapter 1. Look at how it teaches us to look at our responsibilities. Just everything we do in life. In life, think about this. You're either walking, standing, or sitting. Sleeping would be a form of sitting. So think about that. You're either walking, standing, or sitting. And you're responsible in all those ways, right? Wherever you go, you're responsible for something. 
You're in a car, you're, you're sitting, you're responsible to follow the traffic laws. You're on your job, you're standing, you're responsible for there. You know what I'm talking about? We could be here all day. But get the point of what Psalm is saying, uh, David is saying here because it's so encouraging. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And mockers are the ones who mock at doing what's right. Oh, I don't want to pay my taxes. I'm going to lie on my taxes. See, I'm responsible for that, but I'm going to lie about that. No, the Bible says don't do that. Don't sit with them. Don't sit with the tax agent that lies for you. Don't walk where sinners walk, right? But delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. You see that illustration again about abiding, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not like the wicked, they're like the chaff. They're like those dead leaves. The wind blows them away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the seat of judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. But the Lord watches over the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So you're responsible for a lot of things in life. Don't let busyness, overspending, laziness get in the way. Don't let things cause you to break your promises, go into bad debt, quit upon your marriage, quit upon other things you're responsible to, be faithful. Somebody say be faithful. We're going to have a sermon in this series called Be Faithful to Be Fruitful because that's the trick in abiding. you got to be faithful to be fruitful. And then lastly, somebody say goals. You ever hashtag goals on a picture before on Facebook? Come on, here's goals, Proverbs 3, 5. How many have some goals in their life? Can I hear an Amen. The goals that we set in our lives determines where we're going in life. When you leave here, where's your goal? Where you, what's your goal? My goal is to go home. My goal is to get to the restaurant. Well, that's how you get there. You set a goal to get there. Are you setting goals in life? What's your goal for your marriage? What do you want to look like? Some of you have a goal. A lot of women here have a goal for what they want their wedding dress to look like. But do you have a goal for what you want your man to look like? Hello, I'm talking about on the inside. I talked to my daughters already know what they want at their wedding. Lucas already told me what he's wearing for the Halloween next year. That's how children think, right? But are we setting the right kind of goals? Look at Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your bones and nourishment, uh, health to your body and nourishment to where? Your bones. You'll feel it on the inside. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. You want to set goals? Be disciplined. Honor the Lord. Are your goals inv involved in this? Money? Make sure you're giving it to God. Make sure you're prioritizing God in there. Otherwise, your, your, your life will not prosper. Some distractions in our goals are the same as the others, busyness, overspending. You know what hits the death mark in, 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 in goals, as I think? Pity. Pity. Pity will kill your dream just like that. Well, I didn't start off in life with a good dad, and I don't go to the right schools, and nobody helps me. That will kill your goals right there. Shame. 
Shame will kill your goals. You've been through a divorce. You've had a child outside of marriage. Nobody's going to love me. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. I can't go to church anymore. I've messed up. Death. There goes your goals in the graveyard. Condemnation. God can't change me. You know what condemnation says is I've messed up and God can't change me. Those will kill your goals faster than anything else. Have you ever heard the story about 7-Up? I don't know if it's true or not, but it's funny. He started 1-Up and it didn't work. Closed it down and started 2-Up. Didn't work. <laughs> Hello. And he started 3-Up. Still didn't work. You know, they say most entrepreneurs close two or three businesses on their way to becoming a millionaire. Thomas Edison failed at making a light bulb over a thousand times. And he said a light bulb wasn't a thousand failures. It was just a thousand step process. That's how you achieve goals. Don't let death come into your goals. You guys see this chart here? We're going to close out in prayer in just a moment. I want you to be honest with yourself today. Are you abiding in Christ? Look at your notes. Look at your life right now before we close out. What areas of my life do I need to center, uh, put Christ at the center in? What, what parts do I need to change? Where do I need to come back to? What, what are things that I need to let God, uh, you know, prune out of my life? There's going to be a whole message in this series on pruning, and I hope you all come. Amen. But look at this just for a few moments before we close in prayer collectively. Just meditate on this and be honest with yourself. Speak to us, God. Center our lives on you today. Can you get that song ready, please? Band, would you come as well? Jesus, be the center of it all. Would you stand up with me as we get ready to close out? Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise today for his word? Amen. As you're standing up, we're going to sing a song in closing called Jesus Be the Center of It All. Would you stay a few moments and then we'll dismiss uh, as a congregation. I want us to abide in his love today more than we ever have. Look at this closing statement. Abiding in love must always be the center of everything in the disciples' life. By it. We receive the answers to our prayers. Because did you hear in there that, that Jesus says, ask, they'll ask whatever they need and it will be given to them. Did you hear that in the abiding passage? They get answers to prayers. The disciple must always center their life around abiding in Christ because by it they will receive answers to their prayers. Bear much fruit and glorify the Father. Do you want to glorify the Father in your family? In your devotional life? On your work, in your job, in your responsibilities, paying bills, and setting goals. Amen. Lord, we're going to sing this song to you as they put up the words. And Lord, I ask that before we leave out, this will be the cry of our heart today. That you would be the center of it all. Would you sing this with us before you go? I'll pray a dismissal in just a moment.
get ready to sing this last part. From my heart to the heavens. Let's declare it. The heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about Come on, let's believe it today. Altar workers, would you come, please? From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. More times from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you, yes, it's all about you from my heart to the heavens. Jesus be the center. One more time, come on, give it everything you have today. Make it your declaration to the heavens. Just be the same. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about As we get ready to close out in prayer, would you consider finding an altar worker today, one of our prayer workers up here, if you need assistance in any of these areas or in any issue that you're facing in life? Would you come and find one of them? Let's bow our head and close our eyes in prayer. Pastor Jerry, would you close us out today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this word, Lord. It's, it's practical, Lord. If we're honest before you, and Lord, as you search our hearts, this message is hitting some area of our lives. So we submit our families to you. We submit our careers to you. We submit our path of discipleship and devotion to you. We submit our responsibilities and our goals unto you. And may your love pour into those areas of our life that it would not be a burden or a drudgery to, to follow your excellent ways, but it would just be the joy of our life to do it unto you, Lord. May this be with, message be with us throughout our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, God bless you. Have a great day. We love you. Come forward if you need prayer. Otherwise, have a great week.